Okay. Anyway, so we, like Pastor Bolden was saying, we are doing the series on the order of salvation, or the ordo salutis. And um, last week, last sermon, we were talking about uh, conversion. So we're in the specifically dealing with the subject of conversion. Um, now conversion, it's more like an umbrella term that covers these different, different, all these other different things like regeneration, just if all, those, all of that falls under the umbrella of conversion. Um, now we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. You can turn to your Bibles or boom, you can look at the screen. Um, Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. Um, and it goes like this. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and frees, freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, um, so like I said, we're talking about the, the, the topic of conversion. And um, usually when we deal with these different doctrines, we tend to look at them in an individualistic way, meaning how do these things apply to me? What does this have to do with me? And um, that's a biblical way of looking at things. Obviously, if you want to know how the things of the Bible have to do with you, how do you want to apply them to your life? So obviously that's, that's a biblical perspective. But the Bible is also deals with things outside of us. It deals with the whole world at large. The Bible encompasses everything there is um, outside in the world. So um, in dealing with conversion last week, uh, or last sermon, just prophesying, last, last time we met, um, conversion was dealt in how we re it relates to us, right? The, the, what is true conversion, etc. So today, what I would like to do or attempt to do is to try to look at conversion as it relates to the world. In other words, um, conversion is not, it's, it's your relationship with God changed at conversion, right? Before you had a bad relationship with God, after conversion, your relationship with God is now fixed. But you also had a relationship to the world. You had a good relationship with the world before conversion. After conversion, your relationship to the world also changes. So I'm going to talk about, or I'm going to try to talk about um, conversion as it relates to that, as it relates to the change in our relationship to the world and our perspective and our outlook and all of those things that change. So we'll start with a question. Why should I be converted? Um, the answer is simple, right? Especially if you grew up in church. Why do I need converted? Well, obviously because of sin. You've sinned, right? You've fallen short of the glory of God. 
And as a result of that, you need to be forgiven, you need to be saved, you need to be, quote-unquote, converted. Um, but when you look at sin, you need to look at the root of sin and where does the sin of your life comes from. See, there's a root from where all sin stems from. And um, there's a clue in the Ten Commandments, um, in Exodus chapter 20. Boom. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 2, you get the first commandment. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. The first commandment is, I'm your God. You shall have no other gods other than me. Now, if you read, I was reading, when I was looking at, at the first commandment, I was reading Martin Luther's larger catechism. This is back when Protestants wrote catechisms. And he has an explanation of the Ten, the Ten Commandments. And, and when he explains, he begins, he begins by asking a question. That's, if you ever read a catechism, that's how it works. You have a question, you have an answer. You have a question, you have an answer. So the question is, in dealing with the first commandment, what is God? Or what is it to have a God? Right? And he gives the answer in his larger catechism. He says, a God means that from which we are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress. So that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe Him from the whole heart. As I have often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. If your faith and trust be right, then your God also true. And on the other hand, if your trust be false and wrong, then you have not the true God, for these two things belong together. That now, I say, upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly your God. So what, what Luther goes on to explain is that the first commandment, it's linked to all the other commandments, meaning that when you, if you break any commandment, it's only because you have broken the first commandment already. So in other words, if you steal, it's because you already broke the first commandment. So when, 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 and, and he doesn't leave any middle ground, you see, there's no, there's no, there's no middle place, right? You either worship God or you worship some other form that you call a God, but there is no middle ground. So um, when, when you look at it, the root of all sin becomes idolatry. We all sin because we have, we no longer worship God as he should be worshiped. So all men are religious, irregardless of what they say. All men have a God. All men have a priesthood. All men have a religion. It doesn't matter what society you look to or in what time, all men um, outside of Christ are worshiping something. As Luther said, upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly your God. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, he explains it this way. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to, the, to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the loss of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they changed the truth about God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So this is the Apostle Paul's description of the heathen, the heathen and the pagan. So you had in, in Paul's day, you had the Jew who worshipped God, and then you had the heathen and the pagan. So Paul is saying that the heathen and the pagan had a knowledge of God with, for the things that they could see, but at some point they stopped worshipping the true God and exchanged the true God for the creature's that he gave them. So they began worshiping the creature. There was an exchange. That is the root, that, that's Romans chapter 1, is the root of all sin. It's idolatry. It's a wrong or improper uh, belief or worship of God. So man exchanged the worship of God, of the true God for a lie and worshiped the creature. Why? Because everything there is outside of God has been created by him. This happened in pagan societies, this happened to the, to the Jews, and it happens even today. Um, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, I used to have that book, disappeared. Um, A.W. Tozer has this great quote, one of my favorite quotes. He says this, he says, The history of mankind will probably show that no people have ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will possibly, positively demonstrate that no religion has been greater than its idea of God. So, sin begins at its root with idolatry. Conversion needs to begin there. See, conversion, the, the change that happens in conversion begins where the root of sin also begins. It begins with a proper idea of God. Um, there's only one God, and man will either worship him or worship something else. Conversion is when a man's eyes are open to the true God, and his mind is changed to that idea, and he begins to live in light of that idea. That's why when, when back in, when I was younger in, in the churches, the way that um, we were taught to get saved was... You know, you need to repent, you need to stop going to the movies, you need to stop going to dances, you need to stop doing all these things. It was more like habit changing. That was the emphasis. Um, obviously, if you're a Christian, as was talked about last sermon, all those things will come about, but those things alone is not conversion. You can change, you can stop doing all those things, but those things alone are not conversion because conversion needs to begin where root begins and it's in a false and improper idea of God. It's improper worship. That's where sin begins. Conversion needs to begin there. Um, so what does that have to do with like our relationship to the world, right? 
So the root of sin is idolatry. So the second question is, why is that? Why is it that we as human beings are idolatrous? Why don't we worship with all that we see? Why don't we worship the true God? And, and the answer obviously is found in Genesis, in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God creates a man and he gives him a mandate. Here's what God said. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of, of heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So Adam's creation, he's created as, as in the image of God and he is given a calling and a mandate. He's, he's told to subdue the earth and have dominion. And he's giving all these things. He's given the birds of the sea, I mean, the, the birds of, of, of the heavens. He's given the fish of the sea. Um, and all the living things are given to him to subdue. Now, notice what we ended up doing when we fell. We ended up taking the things that we were given, right, and began to worship the things that we were given rather than the God who gave them to us. See, so that's, that's where the... That's where the change happened. When Adam fell, Adam lost God. When he lost God, he looked for another God in the things that God gave him. So our, our purpose when we were made was to subdue the earth and to have dominion. Um, but we lost the dominion that we were given. We lost the dominion that we were given. When we lost that dominion, somebody else took it. Now, if you remember, I don't, I don't have it here, but if you remember the, the, when Jesus was tempted, remember that whole story? And he's taken and the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all these things were given to me. I will give them to you if you bow down and worship. Well, who, who gave them to the devil? The, God didn't give them to the devil. God gave them to Adam. I'm going to give you this earth. I'm going to made you, I'm going to made an earth for you to live, and you're going to have to subdue it and have dominion over it. I'm going to give you a dominion. Well, a whole testament later, here's this other guy who shows up and says, I have dominion over it. So what we lost, the devil took it. He had dominion over this, this whole world. The, what we were supposed to have dominion over, the devil took it. He had, past tense, he had dominion of, of what we should have had. Um, as a result, we, we have been trying to fill that vacuum ever since, and that's why we're idolatrous. We, we've been trying, human beings, we've been trying to regain with our hands what we gave up in Adam. We've been trying to recapture that thing. We, man, without God, has been trying to build their cities, build their empires, build their, their governments, worship their idols, have their religions. All of it is just trying to regain what we lost at the beginning because the root cannot be changed. The root is we don't worship the proper God. We worship an image. And out of that image, we've built up religions, dominions, powers, and, and all these authorities, and we're born into a world that has this rule, and we're born blinded to the truth. 
So what happens in conversion is not just that you stop doing some things to do other things. What happens in conversion is that there needs to be a transfer from the, the, the world in which you live and from the way that you've been worshiping onto the proper way of living. So it, it begins at the root. You cannot look at the, at, at the habits that have changed at conversion and make that just what conversion is. Because when we do that, you might have people that act properly, but not necessarily being converted. And that's the problem that I believe we've been having in, for many years. We, we focus on the habits that supposedly we think a person should be when they're a Christian, and they're true. But if we're not presenting a proper idea of God and all of who God is, then we end up with people that may not be worshiping God properly, even though they may be looking the part. So that's, that's when conversion needs to begin. So um, when you look at, uh, when you look at um, sometimes I listen to, to some of the liberal, how do, how do you call these fellas, the Bill Maher's of... Um, and they, uh, they, they, you know, pound their, their chest saying that they're not religious, they're non-religious, they're secular people. Um, when you look at secularism, it's a religion. That's all it is. It has a God. Usually it's the state or the government. Um, it has a priesthood, the intelligentsia, the academia, the scientists, those are their priests, right? It has a uh, creation story, right? The evolution, that's, that's a doctrine. I mean, they'll tell you that science, but it's not science. It's not even close. It's a faith. It's a doctrine. You have to believe that. You've never seen it. You cannot reproduce it, right? So you have to believe it, right? So, so even modern man who looks at the ancient man and looks at their gods and, looks, oh, and they say, well, you know, we've, we've, we're smarter now. We're in the same boat. We're still religious, pagan, idol-worshipping people at heart. So um, modern man places his hope in his man-made institutions, which were God-given, Right? God gave us these institutions. And modern man places his trust in the God-given institutions rather than the God who gave us those institutions to begin with. So in 2,000 years, we're still worshiping creatures rather than, than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So why am I telling you all this? Why am I even preaching? Right? You got the point. I can just go home. Well... Because we live in the society in which we live, and we are surrounded by all of these things, we always have to be cautioned in what comes in and might divert our worship of God. And the way that these things happen is that a lot of times it may happen without you even realizing it. It may become part of the way church is done. 
and we might change our views of God um, for a God that we like but may not be the God of the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to Christians in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is talking to believers. He's writing to Christians. And he's, he tells them this. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, this is, this is the Israelites, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What does that have to do with me? Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did. Notice how everything follows. So with the first thing, do not be idolaters. And then everything goes downhill from there. Do you see that? But he's, he's writing Christians. These are, these, are, these, are, these are brothers. He's calling them brothers. Do not be unaware, brothers. Our fathers were in Egypt, right? They're in Egypt. What's Egypt? Egypt is the world. Egypt is sin. Egypt is bondage, right? They're in Egypt. God sent them Moses. God sent you his word. That's Moses. Moses is God's word, Right? Moses couldn't speak. God's word sits there. So he, he, Aaron spoke for Moses. That's a preacher. God sent you a preacher to speak for God. They escaped death through the blood of a lamb. You escaped death through the blood of the lamb. Right? They go through the Red Sea and they're baptized unto Moses. You go through water baptism and are buried with Christ. Romans chapter 6. Baptized, you're buried with Christ. Go on to the wilderness, on to the promised land. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to slavery. They want to go back to why? Things got rough. They didn't turn out like it was. It wasn't like they were told it was going to be. They're looking back to Egypt. So Paul says those things that you see there, that, that essentially that gospel story in Exodus, that's a gospel story were written as an example to you and me so that we don't do the things that they did and we do not become idolaters. He's writing to Christian people. Um, but Egypt, this is what's interesting, is that if you read the story of Exodus, Egypt was essentially destroyed by God. Right? Egypt, the army, and everything was destroyed. So after they, they cross over to the Red Sea... They want to go back to Egypt. But there's, there's, there's nothing in Egypt. You see what I'm saying? What they're going back to is some idea in their minds of what Egypt was. But there was, there was nothing in Egypt. It was destroyed. The army was destroyed. Pharaoh was killed. God judged. It, Egypt fell away. 
right? Now they have a promised land that is there. See, there's, there's, there is, it's there. And God is sending them there. They have to do some work when they get there. But it's there. Egypt is destroyed and they want to go back to Egypt. See, we're in the same position today. In, in 1 John chapter 2, this is, this is what John says. Again, this is written for Christian. He says this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See that? It goes back to that. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world has been judged already. The world has been already passing out. It's fading away. So for us to go back to to look at the way to look at the world and have any temptation or desires to even look at that life is to look, to, to try to go back to a destroyed judge Egypt. Makes no sense. So, do not be conformed to the idolatrous ways of this world. There is no middle ground. Um, it's idolatry and false religion. It's Egypt. Um, in, in Romans chapter 12, this is classic verse. He says, I appeal to you, bre- uh, brothers, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, might as well say converted, by the renewal of your mind, by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be trans- don't conform. Be transformed. The difference is that the, the, even though we left Egypt, Egypt is still around us. Whether we like it or not, we can't escape it. That's the difference. It's being judged, but it's around us. We live in it. We're submerged in it. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be converted by the renewal of your mind. But he begins this by saying, brothers, assuming these people are Christian people. And he's telling these Christian people, you've been converted, continue being converted. You see, it's, it's, conversion is not this one thing that I did and I put it away. He says, be converted, continue being converted by renewing your mind, by converting your mind every day. And if you go on to, to read, and I don't have time to get into all the details, but if you go on to read uh, Romans chapter 12, the way that you do that is pretty much church. You know, uh, use your gift for benefiting one another, and all these, he goes into the gifts of the spirits, and he goes into all of that. The way that you do that, the way that you refuse yourself from the world is basically church. It's God's people. So, um, be transformed, might as well say converted, by the renewing your mind. Um, conversion is not just a one-time thing. We've, we've made that a doctrine in America, right? You, you, 
you walk down the aisle back in 1989 in a church in Kansas somewhere, and boom, I was born again back then. Well, great. Are you born again now? Are you converted? Have you continued to be converted? Because converted is, conversion is not just a thing. It's a way that you live. It's a way of life. Um, so you must live up to your conversion. Conversion begins at idolatry. That's what needs to change. And what needs to be maintained is your worship of God, your proper worship of God, who God is. What we think about God is the most important thing about you. Whoever you think God is, however you think about God is the most important thing about you because that's what's going to determine who we are um, as a Christian people. So why is, why is this so futile? Looking back to the world, why is, it, um, why is the world passing by? Remember, we lost, Adam lost God, he lost his dominion, and he lost um, his proper relationship with God. Ever since then, we have been trying to remake that. The last Adam, thank God there was not just one Adam, the last Adam, where the first Adam failed, the last Adam succeeded. And what the, last, the first Adam lost, the last Adam regained. So to bring it back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, who is to come. He's not falling away. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. You know what that means, the ruler of kings on earth? There's no idols. I mean, if you look at the religions of the world, it's eventually, they all eventually worship a ruler, whether you like it or not, in some way or another. I mean, the, the, the pagans worship deities, eventually they worship the emperor. The Muslims, they worship Allah, but eventually they, it's through Sharia law, which is enforced by their states. So eventually, Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the king above all kings. There is no other idol. There is no other ruler. It's him and him alone. Who was supposed to rule the earth? Adam. He lost that. The, sec the last Adam regained him. So he's our God. Where's his priesthood? To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The dominion that was given to Adam, that was lost, given to the devil, Christ came, defeats the devil, defeats death, gets his dominion back. So that when the devil is tempting Jesus, he says, I'm going to give you all these things. And Jesus says, no, thank you. It's because I'm going to get them anyways. <laughs> I'm going to get your dominion. And I'm going to get all of the dominions. And they're going to be forever. Nobody's going to take them from me. 
once I'm done with you. See, Adam was tempted, he fell into the temptation, Jesus is tempted, his victory is over it, and he gains all the things that Adam lost back. So conversion is you're transferring from the failing kingdom of this world onto the everlasting kingdom of Christ in which you live, surrounded by the ruins of the failed kingdom. This is a failure. This is a failed kingdom. What you watch on television is failure. It's failed. You was reading some articles about uh, the concern that some conservatives have about the fall of Western civilization and how horrible it is and, you know, it's going to be hopeless. No. I mean, I have a God who is in heaven and he has dominion forever and ever. So if Western civilization falls, it's been great, but if it falls, there's still going to be a God in heaven. There's still, he's still going to have dominion. <laughs> We're st I'm still going to be a priest and a kingdom that is his kingdom forever and ever. So why am I going to get worked up about that? See, I, I see Christians, this is, this is the greatest election in my life because I can see people simultaneously being hopeful, Christians, about the new precedent, and others being completely depressed. So depending, depending on who you are, this is salvation, this man, or this is damnation. He's, he's a ruler, of a, he's, a, he's a king on earth. Above him, there's a ruler. So this is neither salvation or damnation. <laughs> There's a king who rules over him anyways. And he's going to fall away, like the last one. But there's one who's still going to be there. You see? You see how you can become an idolater without you even thinking about it? You seen that? That's the world creeping in. I have a king. I don't care. Well, I care, but I don't, it doesn't faze me because he... Western civilization, Eastern civilization, it doesn't matter. He's the king, and he, he, nobody's going to take him down. And we're his priests in his kingdom. Right? So conversion is not only about how you should live. It is about how you should live. You should listen to the previous sermon from last, last, last sermon. Soon we will be able to say last week. Amen. Um, but it's also about your relationship to the world and how that is affected and how your views can be affected by that. Um, and I think um, we, we've, we've lost, I believe, consistency in the Christian faith. There's too much up and down in our lives and, in, and the way churches is too much, too much of this. And the Christian faith the genuine, good, robust Christian faith is consistent. It doesn't matter. It, you know, he is, he, he was, he is, and he is to come. He's consistent. That's how we, we need to be um, as a people. So don't go back to Egypt. Stay converted. Um, this is all passing by, and let us live up to our conversion. Amen? That's...